as an added thought while I think about it, when I say the name bullseye, a lot of people will automatically associate that with a very popular Sunday afternoon game about darts that was on ITV uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, ran for many, many years, hosted by Jim Bowen. That's not this at all. This is a movie. That's a television series. And with the greatest respect, the television series about darts would probably be slightly more entertaining, if the truth be known. So just bear that in mind if you're uh, of a nervous disposition. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to this week's look at action and stunts on film and television. How are you? Thank you for returning. Um, This week we are talking about a movie, (laughs) I use the term loosely, Bullseye from 1990, starring Michael Caine and Roger Moore. Now, with the greatest respect to everybody involved in the picture. Um, The idea of getting two big stars, as they are, Michael Caine and Roger Moore, to work together um, makes a great deal of sense because you want to have a moment on screen where you can actually say, look, they're, they're in this together. This is remarkable. It's worked before on pictures like I don't know, the Road movies, for instance, with Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. And then uh, much later on in, in, in life, you had uh, the man who would be king, Sean Connery and Michael Caine, the only time that they ever worked together. Um, and you can see how these moments work. Heat, another great example of Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, you know, that type of close contact, one-on-one, in-scenes type thing. And really, when you look at Roger and Michael at the absolute height um, of their success, Roger, of course, was was Bond and was able to work in pictures like um, The Wild Geese, The Sea Wolves, those types of movies, Cannonball Run. And during that period of time, Michael was busy as well. So they never really got an opportunity to work together. They'd known each other for many, many years. Um, Roger, of course, was a big big star back in the early 60s with The Saint. And uh, Michael tells a wonderful story of how he's walking down... Is it Fulham Broadway? I think he was walking down uh, one day and uh, Roger approached him uh, because he'd just done his... uh, Michael had just done the first bit of television, uh, I think, and uh, Roger had seen it. And uh, Michael said, Fuck me, you're you're Roger Moore. You know, he was completely starstruck by the whole thing and they, they, they became great friends afterwards. So to get an opportunity like this makes a great deal of sense. Sadly, that opportunity was presented to them by Michael Winner. Now, Michael Winner, of course, was friends with both of them. And the film is written 
by Michael Winner, Morris Graham, and Leslie Brickus, the lyricist. And they're all mates, you know? So they thought, well, what a better way of being able to create a picture. We'll write it, I'll direct it, you boys star in it. Happy days. And even though they had fun during the production, because productions are supposed to be that way, they're not all supposed to be doom and gloom, uh, it's supposed to be a comedy. And once again, I use that phrase very, very loosely. As far as Michael Winner was concerned, it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his entire life. As far as the audience were concerned, it was horrific. In fact, uh, Jonathan Ross mentions uh, many years later when he had attended the, uh, the premiere of the film. And he said the only person laughing to all of the gags was Michael Winner. The rest of the audience was in stunned silence. And so it's an unfortunate situation. And yet the one thing that saves the movie, and there has to be something, and in this instance, the one thing that saves the movie is the action. Stunt coordinator is the great Royal On. Um, brought on relatively early and put together a wonderful team of individuals to work with him in this sort of slapstick humour type way. Roy gets a moment on screen as the window cleaner. If you've seen the picture, the basis for the movie is that there are two scientists on the take who are played by Roger and Michael and they just happen to have two individuals who are a bit crooked played by Roger and Michael who then come up with a scam to swap places steal the diamonds blah de blah etc etc if you're not familiar with it Here's the trailer. Brace yourself. Here it comes. Meet Dr. Hitler and Sir John Babistock, two corrupt scientists hiding a fortune in diamonds. Their only misfortune is that they share a striking resemblance to these two thieves. This is absolutely unbelievable. Now with a little help. Plastic surgery. These crooks will have the perfect faces to pull off the perfect heist. And my name is Hitler. Dr. Daniel Hickler. Love the new nose, Sid. The accent stinks. I'm dead. But before these imposters can take off with the loot, they'll take on the real scientists. You'll never guess who I've got tied up in my cabin. Only you would think about sex at a time like this. And with the way things are going, these thieves will need more than luck to stay alive. Allow me, sir. Even James Bond never had it this rough. I've heard of losing your head over a woman, but this... I don't know what I'm more worried about, being gunned down or updrafted. The castle will hold up tonight. Don't worry, Sidney. Can't believe those two bums are still alive. When Oscar winner Michael Caine, Roger Moore, and Sally Kirkland take aim to steal a fortune in diamonds... Everybody down! You better... Take cover. What's happened? I think we should change caterers. Bullseye, on target, and totally off the wall. You don't look happy. 
come from a broken home. This is a tale of the supernatural. The Tapes, a podcast of the uncanny. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me, host Christopher Goldie and guests as we discuss the best in unsettling television and film. Who is this? Who is coming? Find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Search for at the tapes pod. Part of the Pod Dojo Network. So taking all of that into consideration, there are certain action set pieces along the way which enable the stunt performers to try and sell the picture. Roy, uh, again, trying to work out certain sections of the film, again from a location scouting position. There is a moment early on where they try to recreate the Buster Keaton moment where the building falls on top of him. Michael Caine visits his old home, I I believe it is. Um, This particular character visits his old home, knocks on the front door, front door falls in. He then hears lots of construction work or deconstruction work, as the case, demolition work going on. He looks up and a uh, demolition ball crashes through the side of the building, knocking the front facade of the building over, and he is standing in the doorway as the building falls over. Now, with the greatest, and I don't for a moment believe this was done practically, and and the version that I'm looking at, the quality isn't terrific, but I think that they've managed to get away with a dummy here because uh, even Roy, uh, with his uh, wonderful know-how and engineering background, would have said, it's just a bit too risky. Let's not bother with it. So they've put a dummy in uh, for the building falling down. The rest of the doubling of Michael Caine is done by Terry Walsh. Uh, Terry's an excellent double, has doubled him on a number of occasions in the past. And uh, there's a couple of moments during the picture where... You know, I mean, he he really comes into his own. Um, the the fact that the two lead characters are doubles of the other two lead characters means that the stunt doubles get used quite a lot. The stand-ins will do bits and pieces, but the stunt doubles will do uh, a bit more as well. I am of the impression. Uh, that um, Roger is doubled for a large proportion of this by Stuart Clark. And uh, there's a wonderful motorcycle sequence at the end uh, where Roy had brought in stuntman Eddie Kidd to do the motorcycling. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Amazing uh, motorcyclist, knows exactly what he's doing. And so um, he's doubling Michael Caine riding the motorcycle. And on the back is Roger. So Roger's on the back of Eddie for a couple of moments, and then uh, I believe Stuart Clark is on the back for the remainder. There are some big jumps. There's people getting out of the way at the last moment. Um, but again, Michael Winner, as we've discussed before, not a very nice individual, regardless of whether he's friends with the boys. Not a very nice individual. He has a reputation for being a bit of a a bit of a lunatic right and that's putting it mildly so there were occasions and Roy had mentioned 
a number of occasions whereby Michael had said, you know this thing here, this particular scene, well, I'd like to do this and I'd like to do that. And Roy's really had to put his foot down and go, no, no, we can't do that, Governor. It's not, that's not going to work. It's too dangerous. We need to do this and this. If you cast your mind back to a movie in 1978, uh, there was a Michael Winner movie, uh, a remake of the old uh, classic The Big Sleep. Philip Marlowe as the character, played by Robert Mitchum. Now, there's a moment in that where a car loses control and crashes into a phone box. And originally, Vic Armstrong had been asked to do the driving. And once it had become apparent that there had been no legal representation from the company to the city, London City Council or the Borough Council of whichever borough they were filming in at the time to drive into a phone box or replace it with a prop, Vic had said, I'm not doing it. Made it very clear. There was no point because if I drive into this, you know, that's criminal damage and there's nothing in the contract that says this has been agreed by anybody. Uh, so, you know, we'll just get a prop one to come in. And Winner put his foot down and said, "No, we have to do this. We've only got the, we've only got the um, the location for another for, for tonight, and maybe tomorrow with a push, and it's not enough time. So we'll just get you to drive into this one." And Vic rightly said no. Uh, and I think Michael Winner eventually um, uh, they did it in, in cuts, but Vic had left the production by this time, so he's not averse to kind of making things up as he goes along. And this is a lot of the issues that, that Roy had found with him during production. So it's an unfortunate situation that the movie had come along and done this type of thing. Um, and it's unfortunate that this particular film, as great as it sounds on paper, two big stars, and, you know, we'll, we'll put them together in a caper film but it's poorly written it's not terribly well filmed and luckily some of the action sequences do push it to that point where you can sit through it and it becomes uh, you know bearable um, and uh, Roy and the team have done a, uh, done a terrific job there was also a situation with a dog uh, which I think was a Rottweiler and um They'd got to a situation where the where Michael Caine's character has to be inside a flat. He's in a flat and he's trying to get a key. That's what it is. He's trying to get a key with the key for a deposit box, and is confronted by a Rottweiler who then attacks him. Well, you know, with uh, I, I'm not entirely convinced that that all of the um, the animals on this particular. Um, particular film had come from from a, a, a reliable wrangling source uh, there there would have been a dog handler you would have expected but uh, not all of them and this one got a bit wayward and was really determined to take somebody's arm off so it's really very the whole thing was fraught with danger consequently they then built um, a, a mechanical dog for a scene where the dog is supposed to be lured um, in a provocative fashion by another dog, a wolfhound of some sort. What is a wolfhound? Maybe a long, a beautiful-looking dog. 
on the back of a flatbed wagon and then travelling past a bus stop full of children is seen being terribly male about the whole thing and uh, desperately trying to get his end away on the back of a wagon. I mean, it's, it, the, there are moments in it where you just go, oh my goodness, how on earth is this ever allowed to get past the production stage or even the meeting stage for somebody to go, no, this is really isn't going to work. But anyway, it was sold and uh, they did indeed make it. Um, a couple of lovely moments as well. Uh, Tina Maskell. We'll have mentioned Tina Maskell before. If you have ever seen um, House of Cards, the original television series House of Cards, which was a BBC production, and uh, there is a moment where uh, a character is thrown from the roof of the Houses of Parliament. Tina does this remarkable 80-plus foot fall backwards into an airbag. Um, it's, uh, it's spectacular. She... Uh, is one of the uh, the doubles in this particular picture and uh, doubles a lady who sadly is always on the receiving end of um, um, some of the japes that are that are thrown in her direction uh, one she is attacked at a knife point uh, by a guy uh, her husband uh, is obviously not getting on terribly well with her and uh, when he realises that this woman has absolutely nothing to do with the whole situation he throws her into a stream uh, Tina is thrown into the stream uh, she is then thrown off the jetty uh, uh, into the water and is then eventually hit over the top of the head with a box which is thrown from the top of a building um, she said it was a, you know just another day at the office another peculiar day at the office uh, so there are moments in the picture where you go, OK, I can accept this as being... But the, the, these type of gags, even though they're terribly small in, in, the, in, in the great scheme of things, they are massively important. Massively important. Um, Tina, when she falls into the stream, does a complete flip landing on her back, submerging herself in the water. It may have been take one, it may have been take seven. You know, you've got to do it over and over and over again until you get it right. And for her to keep going back and doing it again, doing it again. That's the difference, you know, between the, the, the stunt performer and the daredevil. You're not doing it just once and getting away with it. You are doing it over and over and over again. Um, and uh, Tina doing a wonderful job there. Um, and of course, there are moments actors um, are in situations and uh, the, the, some of the stunt boys are thrown in as actors. Nick Gillard turns up um, as a, um, a driver who has been driven into uh, by Roger Moore's vehicle. He's been driven by somebody and then uh, this, this car veers across the road, crashes into Nick Gillard's uh, vehicle who's not overly amused by the whole thing, and a bit of a bust-up happens. So it's that type of slapstick comedy. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to urge you to do so, because it's hard work, but if you want to have a little look, do so. On Friday, we will go through the picture and those remaining action sequences, highlighting what's what, who's who, and how, does these, how do these particular sequences work. Um... And uh, so that's possibly the best thing to do, I think, at this stage. It, it's, it's very, very difficult to talk about a movie that 
I find very difficult to watch. But it's it's not chosen by me. It was chosen by the great British public um, who have said, would you cover this? So that's what we're doing. And on the note of that, we will see you all again on Friday for more of the same. Keep taking the tablets. Bye for now.